Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Clinical Pharmacist podcast. Today, we've got a fantastic guest uh, with us. We've got Siddiqur, who is a general practice-based pharmacist, um, prescriber based in Kent, who's worked in the GP sector for over seven years, who's also worked in the community pharmacy sector for a decade as well. So Siddiqur is a lead diabetes clinician um, at the practice and also a PDA union rep for primary care in the Southeast region, as well as a co-director for the Pharmacist Cooperative, which helps to support, train and network with pharmacists around the UK. Siddiqur also works for the local PCN as a community education facilitation lead to help train and upskill clinicians in primary care networks with the local training hub. So welcome Siddiqur, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for inviting me, pleasure to be here. So Siddiqur is joining us um, as a pharmacist representing his own views. Although he is a pharmacist who is a a PDA rep, um, his views today are his own and he is not representing um, PDA. And we've also got my colleague and co-host today, Rahina Kassam, who is the clinical services manager for Clinical Pharmacy Solutions. Welcome to you as well, Rahina. Hi, Rina. Hi, Sadiqur. Lovely to have you with us today, Sadiqur. So today we've got, um, I think, a, a very important subject to discuss. It's about pharmacists' competencies and gathering evidence of competencies. So I think it's you know, uh, it's a hot topic at the moment. We've seen some pharmacists get in trouble, unfortunately, uh, where the CQC inspectors and GPHC uh, regulators are stepping in. So I think pharmacists are in need of guidance. Hopefully with your expertise, Siddiqur and uh, Rahina, your experience as well, um, and some of my experience as well, um, we can provide our audience some advice and information on how to um, go about understanding your competencies and how to gather evidence of competency. So Siddiqur, if I can start off this question asking you, um, why is it important for pharmacists working in general practice to have evidence of competency? For a lot of the pharmacists working in general practice who will be the first time working in this sector. Uh, they're not necessarily not have been uh, talking about this sector during the pharmacy undergraduate course as well. Um, although the clinical knowledge um, will be taught, I think there's quite a wide variety of activities uh, that pharmacists undertake in the general practice sector. Uh, such as clinical um, uh, audits, MH drug alerts, high-risk drug monitoring. I know you guys did a, a great podcast last time around about the uh, difference between a, a pharmacist prescriber and a non-prescriber uh, working in general practices. And there's a quite a lot of activities uh, where you don't need to utilize your prescribing qualification into the general practice sector. Now, um, how do you know that your content uh, and say what you... Um, what knowledge uh, that makes you applicable working in general practice? Because when um, uh, PCNs or general practices um, recruit a pharmacist, uh, they, most of them would not have, have worked with their pharmacists in the general practice like before. So they wouldn't know in terms of um, what would be the, the strengths and weaknesses working in general practice. And for me, uh, as a clinician, there's nothing more dangerous than someone who is unconsciously incompetent. I, they don't know what they don't know. And I think as a pharmacist and as a professional, it's your duty uh, to be vigilant and to be aware of your limitations and your competence. And where there are any knowledge gaps, um, you're not expected to know everything there is to know about general practice and all your, every single clinical disease available 
But what you are supposed to know is who do you turn to? Who do you signpost or who do you refer to? And patients start um, deteriorating. So uh, again, it's, it's not just about covering your own backsides. It's also patient safety at risk here as well. So would you know about uh, the, the various levels of kind of activities you can do and you can't do, but at the same time, uh, you don't want to just limit yourself to working one specific uh, clinical area because again, you're not making yourself marketable for that particular general practice or primary care network. Uh, so but, uh, if you have that discussion early on uh, with PCNs or general practice to say, yes, uh, I'm able to do this particular activity, uh, but I'm not competent enough to do the other uh, activity that you want me to do. But um, if with the right support and guidance, um, I can hopefully would uh, be able to do that for you. So it just, uh, it works both ways. I think uh, as long as far as are aware with the main uh, contents and limitations as well, that, that's a good start. Regina, do you have any comments? Yeah, so I think, no, I completely agree, Stika. And I think now with pharmacists changing sectors as well, we can't always just assume that a competency in one sector is going to reflect the same in another sector. So coming in from general practice, maybe doing an asthma review and checking inhaler technique is going to be slightly different when you're coming into general practice and you've got tools such as the in-check dial, measuring peak flows, all available for you. So it's really important that you are increasing that level of competency depending on what sector that you're in and just building upon that as well. So leading into my next question, Sadiqa, for, for our pharmacists, what does building up evidences of competencies look like? Uh, so for those uh, who are already aware, um, say PDA rep as well, they have produced a fantastic uh, frequently asked questions document uh, for those pharmacists working in general practice, regardless if you're a prescriber or not prescriber. And they've given some useful tips in, into the different types of activities uh, that uh, you can uh, gain evidence of competence. Uh, so one side of thing is, um, is you get some formal qualifications in a specific disease area, for example. Uh, obviously, the highest level of qualification will be uh, something that is being accredited by a university uh, as well. There are study days and online courses as well that you guys can attend. Uh, in, in terms of um, courses and um, identify any knowledge gaps uh, to upskill yourself, obviously, if you are able to get that funded, uh, either for your employers, your general practice, or um, the local training hub, and then that's great, that's that'd be, uh, first foremost. But if you're unable to get funded and you think that is really beneficial for you, there's no shame in for you to pay for this course yourself. So, for example, when I uh, first worked in general practices, um, I was uh, looking for the best part of the decade and it came to a point where I wanted to actually utilize my clinical knowledge more uh, for my patients and and I also wanted to become a prescriber as well. So this was about eight years ago, so where it wasn't really common for pharmacists uh, working in general practices. And I've seen an advertisement in Kempston Druggist where there was a couple of pharmacists already working in general practices uh, offering a course. And this was about uh, the day-to-day role of what they do in their typical uh, general practice day. Uh, and that course cost about £750. And then there's another £750 to shadow them for about two, three days as well uh, if you wanted to uh, find out more about that role. So for me, in total £1,500 I paid it out of my pocket and for me, I thought it was like the best money I've ever spent because uh, literally a few months down the line, 
That's why AHS England have announced that they were going to uh, fund a pilot for the um, GP fastest pilot scheme. And because of the course that I attended and the connection that I built up um, uh, with the trainers, they've uh, selected me to be a part of, as the, one of the first 450 pharmacists in the country uh, to, to be part of the, the GP fastest pilot scheme. So again, in any walks of life, in any other professional, if you wanted to upskill yourself, money won't be wasted if you wanted to upskill and gain for qualification, experience and exposure, uh, because it's money that you're investing in for yourself and for your future and career. The other evidences that you can do will be some self-directed study with your players as well. And I think it's important in general practice because it can be quite isolating. Uh, so if you have like-minded pharmacists working in the same sector as you, guys of uh, where you are in the country, and um, getting that feedback from each other is a valuable tool and help as well. If you're shadowing as well with other clinicians as well, and it's uh, pretty easy to do in a general practice setting because there's other uh, clinicians as well, you can get some uh, supervised practice and make documentation and keep a portfolio as well. And that, again, will satisfy both the CQC inspection, your CPD revalidation as well. Uh, I don't know if I can, if you guys can see this, but I've kept a folder since I started general practice seven years ago. All the various certificates, uh, training attendants, course qualifications, appraisals, uh, commentaries, and counter side by relevant clinicians. Uh, and these form part of my portfolio of evidence, uh, which hopefully will uh, satisfy my um, competence and uh, scope of practice. Okay, that's fantastic, Sidiqa. And thank you so much for. Um you know, showing us your folder and the size of it as well. Because I think, um, you know, speaking from experience, uh, we've had pharmacists reaching out to us, Clinical Pharmacy Solutions, where they're in primary care and suddenly their practice is having a CQC inspection and they're scrambling in the last minute and they're asking us for advice or they're asking us for some of the certificates that uh, for the courses that they've, you know, undertaken with us in the past. And I think it's really important, as you you demonstrate as well, and you've done, to you know collect your competencies as you go along. Because if you leave it to the last minute, you might forget, and you know you may not be able to get um, some of your certificates. And touching upon that as well, with regards to the type of competencies, uh, adding to what you said as well. So um, the PDA guidance document um, has suggested that. In terms of the type of competencies, it's not just, you know, workshops or, um, you know, courses that you attend, but it's also having that um, environment where you may have a senior, senior clinicians overseeing um, your work that are, they're able to review your work, supervise you and give you feedback. Also having um, a peer group to ask questions and just bounce ideas back and forth. So, yeah, I think working within a supportive team is very important. Um, and you rightly said to the at the start is, you know, some pharmacists, especially if you're brand new to the role, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And I think if you are brand new to the role and you're going into a, a practice, let's say you're going into a GP practice and you may be the only pharmacist there and, you know, you don't know where to start. And perhaps the, the GP surgery um, had a pharmacist prior to you who was running minor, minor illness clinics and, you know, they're a prescriber. They may have the same expectation of you and they may ask be asking you to do things that are well above your competency level. But because 
you don't have that support system around you and you're the only pharmacist there and it's your first role, you're brand new to the sector. Um, you know, you don't know whether it's appropriate for you to take on these roles because you don't want to look like you don't know anything um, and you'll be under a lot of pressure. So um, I think it's really important to try and seek out that, um, you know, peer network group, um, make sure you're in touch with um, some senior clinicians, develop really good relationships with the, the GPs there or, you know, some of the advanced clinicians, um, you know, whether it's a nurse or anyone else. So, yeah, that, that was just sort of my two cents that I wanted to add in. Oh, back to you, Sadiqa, go ahead. Oh, just, just following what you're saying there, is, um, uh, yeah, if you're making a connection as well, it's good to be proactive as well. So, uh, so don't just limit it to within your own general practice or private care network. Um, reach out to other pharmacists uh, for social media networks as well. And locally, uh, uh, the pharmacy that helped me when I started in general practice was my local CCG men's management team uh, because they've been working in general practice uh, years before me and uh, and they've got quite good connections and they also speak to your general practices in terms of managing your expectations. And when you obviously no, no two pharmacists are the same, but you can't be expected to seamlessly work one practice to another and doing the exact same things because everyone has different requirements or different needs. And, and again, um, the surgeries can't be expecting every pharmacist to work exactly the same because everyone has different interests or different skill sets, uh, which uh, can complement in some practice, but not in other practice. So just uh, raising awareness as well. It's, it's quite good. Absolutely. And um, I think it's fantastic to see your um, portfolio there, Sadiqa. I think that that's like a highlight for all pharmacists that we should be looking to kind of achieve a portfolio like that. And I think given your expertise and your um, progression so far as pharmacists with everything that you've done, I think it's great to see like your um, portfolio there. So thank you for sharing that with us as well. And just agreeing as well with what you've touched on. So it, it doesn't have to be like certified courses as well, but actually shadowing GPs, shadowing senior pharmacists that have got competency in these areas, building up that kind of skill set that you're trying to develop in a particular area that can also help you to build up the competencies as well. And keeping note of those, like keeping a log, um, saying that I've shadowed X amount of consultations, I've done this, I've done this under supervision, I now have read the guidelines this nice guideline or any additional guidelines and journals that you may have looked into. So I think all these little things as well can help to build up your competencies. It's just about making sure you're documenting them and keeping record of them to help build up such a great portfolio as well. So going on to our next question, Sadiqa, what are your top three tips for pharmacists on building up their portfolio of competencies? For my first tip, well, what I would recommend for pharmacists working in general practice is to uh, start doing the portfolios from the get-go. Uh, because again, you don't want to be uh, working lastminute.com when you uh, seek a special come in because uh, as you um, get more time and experience and exposure in general practices, you'll be seeing a lot of things and you you'll be wanting to document and write down any commentaries as well. And I do as well is to do, uh, is to complete a boundaries of clinical practice statement, which the PDA have published on their website. Uh, you don't need to have, for example, renewing your endeavor but it's good to have that alongside with you. Um, when you are doing any type of, of formal training or uh, some of the activities I've mentioned earlier about self-directed study, clinical supervision, mentoring as well. Uh, and in that document, it does um, recommend to say, you know, 
if there is an element where it's beyond guidelines or within your competency, who do you turn to? Who do you refer to? So as long as you have that uh, network system going as well, then uh, that's a good start. Uh, in addition to that, um, as a prescriber myself, my CCG, again, it might be different to other areas of the country. They want a specific prescribing scope of practice for those who are non-medical prescribers. And the way I do them is I do them in order of BNF clinical chapters. Uh, so I document any type of relevant training regarding that clinical disease area that I've done and get that countersigned by my GP clinical supervisor or senior clinical pharmacist as well. Um, so for my second tip, uh, what I recommend is to share the, um, the training days that you do attend uh, with your clinical peers as well. Uh, and I think there's an expectation for practices to have a certain amount of clinical meetings as well. So if you do attend any study days or uh, training days, it's good for yourself as the pharmacist to take the lead or apply that learning into practice and, and showcase that uh, to other clinicians as well, which I'm more than certain that they would appreciate as well. And this will hopefully also build on any case studies relevant to that clinical disease areas that you can share and bounce ideas as well. And again, if you minute the clinical meetings, that could again form as part of evidence for your portfolio of competence. And my final tip that I recommend is documentation, 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 and in that order. Why? Because I think as pharmacists, especially if you're working from a, a community pharmacy setting, we're not great at documenting and, and recording uh, notes compared to uh, community pharmacy. In terms of uh, documentation, it's important, uh, not just in terms of covering your, your own backlog as a pharmacist, but also from a patient safety aspect as well. Uh, and one of the key things when it comes to documentation is safety netting and knowing when to signpost uh, patients uh, if they're in uh, worsening or deteriorating of the conditions. Uh, for example, uh, as a diabetic, how would they know if they're going to get uh, a hypo, low blood glucose level, or if they were around, if the shipment levels are, are getting high, when do they need to check their ketone levels in order to prevent diabetic ketoacidosis? When do they need to be uh, referred uh, or blue-lighted to A&E? And, and something as a pharmacist, you should be aware of yourself anyway, because uh, it's not just about the medication. You also need to know the potential red flags and the potential other differential diagnosis as well. Once you have that knowledge in mind, then you can uh, safely document as to if the patient's condition is deteriorating, who would you signpost and who would you refer to? Or for the patient themselves, what do they need to do in order uh, to make sure that uh, the condition isn't going to worsen or they're going to require uh, A&E or emergency appointment. In addition to the documentation, the phrase is, you know, uh, if it isn't recorded, it didn't happen. And I think that's more important than ever before. So uh, in the general practice setting, you'll be um, seeing a lot of patients and be documenting uh, what things that you have done. And just as important, if not more, things that you, you haven't done or you haven't prescribed. Uh, so this is something that we don't tend to do in the community pharmacy setting. And it's important that uh, any interaction that you have with the patient that everything gets uh, documented and recorded, as well as what is your potential plan of action as well. Uh, so that uh, if another clinician is uh, looking at that patient, 
that have an idea as to uh, what was the purpose of your, uh, your consultation with that patient and how they would like to proceed uh, in terms of the next steps. Yeah, thank you, Sidhu, for some uh, very fantastic and practical tips that you shared that hopefully our listeners could take away uh, and implement in their practice. And, you know, just with regards to the emphasis that you put on the importance of documentation and safety netting, you know, I'm sure Rahina would agree with me that, you know, it, it, it's something that we try and educate our internal pharmacists about a lot. Um, I think only probably just two weeks ago, we ran a, an internal training session for our pharmacists, particularly on this subject of safety netting and documentation. As you said, if it's not written and it's not documented, then you can't prove that it happened. So yeah, very good tips. Um, Rahina, any comments from you? No, so I, I completely agree there. I think um, as we do notes reviews, peer-to-peer -peer reviews, we often pick up that documentation and safety netting are one of the areas where pharmacists really lack in the consultation notes. So I, I completely agree and um, reiterate, we really try to put that into all of our pharmacists. And we, as Runa said, recently ran a lunch and learn session to try and help everyone to kind of expand that area of their consultation notes. So I think really useful tips, Sadiqa. So I think, um, you know, we've, we've covered uh, quite a few points and that hopefully our, our listeners can take away. And just a couple of things that I'd like to reiterate to um, our pharmacists listening in uh, to this podcast is, you know, I know we spoke a lot about, you know, CQC inspectors and, uh, you know, GPHC regulators and, um, you know, some pharmacists are actually being, um, you know, referred to GPHC regulators, you know, because of the lack of um, sufficient competency demonstrated when the CQC um, inspectors uh, reviewed their work. So I hope, you know, this is more sort of like a wake up call uh, for our pharmacists. And I hope it doesn't turn into, um, you know, sort of like scare tactics for some of those pharmacists who are either new to the sector or are hoping to transition into this sector. I think it's important, um, you know, as you both mentioned, it's important for pharmacists to take responsibility for for their learning. Um, and where, you know, although pharmacists have been in general practice uh, for a little while now, it's still fairly new. Um, and, you know, a lot of the areas that pharmacists are able to practice in, it's not necessarily clear cut, um, you know, between a prescriber and a non-prescriber, it may be where, you know, as a prescriber, you may be able to initiate new medication and, you know, um, diagnose a patient with a new condition. Um, however, there is, you know, a lot of gray areas and uh, some overlap as well. Um, so I think it's important to, first of all, understand the sector properly and um, as you said, you know, experience in one sector, so in the community pharmacy sector, just because someone may have 15, 20 years of experience in a community setting or a hospital setting, and then may have been a fantastic pharmacist in that setting, it can't be assumed that they have that same level of competency when they come into a brand new sector like the general practice or primary care sector. It's a completely different ball game. You know, there's uh, different competencies, the different knowledge and uh, skill set required. You know, and from speaking from experience as well, that I remember I had an interview once with a pharmacist who was a fantastic hospital pharmacist. Uh, you know, she used to work autonomously, doing all, running all sorts of clinics and being a lead uh, for the hospital pharmacy team. Um, however, when it came to the interview for a general practice role, it was clear that, you know, she did have um, knowledge gaps. So I think it's important um, for you to recognize that 
um, to understand that you are going to need to upskill yourself, whether it's, you know, getting funded training or putting the investments in and um, upskilling yourself. And I think one of the things that, you know, we've developed as an organization is a pharmacist self-assessment tool. Um, this is an assessment tool that takes less than five minutes to complete. It's available for free uh, for all pharmacists in the UK to take. So to date, um, more than 4,000 pharmacists have taken this self-assessment. And it's basically um, a tool designed to ask you questions to identify which competency level um, you're at. So generally speaking, in primary care, um, there are about four or five levels of uh, pharmacists in primary care. The first level uh, being someone who you know knows how to use the system when they um, enter the sector for the first time. They may do things like audits, similar to what a technician might do. Then you have uh, the next level where a pharmacist is able to do reauthorizations and perhaps um, some medication reviews. And then the third level is a pharmacist who is able to run, you know, perhaps some correct condition reviews, uh, structured medication reviews. Um, and then moving on from that, you have level four. This is someone who's has uh, an independent prescribing qualification and might be um, running clinics uh, such as minor illness clinics where diagnosis and, pre you know, prescribing new medication is involved. And then you've got um, level five, uh, which is what we call, uh, you know, senior or lead pharmacist. This is more, um, you know, someone who's involved in management, uh, managing a pharmacist team. They might be involved in policy development um, and leading on projects like that. So I think, um, you know, it's important for pharmacists to understand that pharmacists do vary greatly in their abilities. And then when you do enter the sector, there are a, vi a variety of roles um, that can be undertaken. So I would encourage everyone if they haven't done so already and they are wondering what level they're at, um, to take this uh, self-assessment, it's called uh, pharmacistselfassessment.org.uk. Uh, hopefully it will enable you to identify your knowledge gaps um, so that you can practice uh, within your um, you know, competency scope and also give you an idea of what areas you can develop into so you have a developmental pathway for um, career progression. So I think we've spoken um, uh, enough about the subject and we've touched upon some really important aspects. So lastly, Siddi, just before we close, um, how can other pharmacists contact or network with you? With me, I've written various different types of uh, articles and pieces about pharmacists working in general practice with uh, different topics. So I think the best way uh, for them to get in touch with me is for doing various social media networks like LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, uh, and my handle is at GP Pharmacid, as I'm uh, readily available um, for people to network as well. Great. Thank you so much. Um, again, thank you, uh, Siddiqa, for joining us. You've shared um, some valuable information. And thank you, Rahina, as well, for uh, being with me again today. Thank you both. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you.